0: Women have played a significant role in our society and culture through time, so let's take a look at the history from the women's side. I'm your host, Brittany, and welcome to Her Story Sessions. We're going to go back quite a bit in time this week, all the way to ancient Egypt and to some of the women that took the throne there and what their lives were like. Women in ancient Egypt had more rights than women in other ancient civilizations. Rights were based on social class rather than gender. They could own land, administer, or sell it as they wished, and property was passed down based on female lineage. She could be a partner in legal contracts, execute wills, marry who she wanted, and divorce later if she wanted out of the marriage, and could adopt children in her name and travel without the need of a male guardian. If a woman got divorced, the children in the house stayed with her. Birth control and abortions were available to women, whether married or not. Their gods were male and female, and they were all equally important to the cycles of life. When it came to what occupations a person could hold, though, it was separated into what men did and what women did. This was all based on the central value of ma'at, the concept of harmony and balance in all aspects of someone's life. The men held positions of authority and were considered the head of the household, but women did hold some considerable power and independence themselves, and some jobs could be held by both men and women. Women could be scribes and priests, but usually only within a female deity sect. There were also mentions of wise women, or seers during the New Kingdom, women who would interpret dreams and predict the future. Some temples even had special buildings for visitors to spend the night so they could better communicate with the gods or deceased relatives in their dreams, one of which was the Temple of Hathor, which had a largely female clergy. Clergy were highly respected regardless of gender and usually enjoyed a comfortable lifestyle. Women who finished years of study as scribes could also become teachers or physicians. Female doctors were highly respected, and the medical school in Alexandria was attended by students from other countries too. Agnidis, a Greek woman, studied there after being denied from studying in Athens because of her gender. After finishing her studies in Egypt, she returned to Athens and practiced, disguised as a man. Beginning during the Middle Kingdom, one important position a woman could hold was a religious one. Given the honorary title, God's Wife of Amun, these were the women who assisted the high priest in ceremonies intended to the god's statue. Originally, they were women of any class, but later were only of upper class. Throughout the new kingdom, the prestige of this position increased, and by the time of the Third Intermediate Period, which was 1069-525 to 525 BCE, the God's Wife of Amun was basically equal to the king in power and effectively ruled Upper Egypt a lot of times this was the pharaoh's wife who held this role. The most famous of these women was Hatshepsut, who we'll talk about later. Of course, at the top of society were the pharaoh's wives. A pharaoh would have one principal wife and several lesser wives. There was no word for queen and instead they would hold a title such as great wife or the great royal consort and queen is applied to their names in modern times. These women would live surrounded by enormous luxury, with female attendants and wore colorful embroidered linens. Daughters of these wives were royal princesses, but they held no inheritance to the throne. The throne was passed down preferably to a son of the great wife, but if she didn't have a son and a lesser wife did, it would go to the lesser wife's son. Many women ruled either as consorts to their husbands or regents of their sons, Others were powerful by holding considerable influence with the pharaoh or in court, attending to state affairs in place of the pharaoh, and sometimes acting as diplomats. Some also ruled as co-regents. While most women didn't hold the throne in name and rather held the power behind the scenes, there are a handful of women that declared themselves pharaoh one way or another, despite traditions that dictated only men ruled. The earlier female pharaohs don't have as much known about them as the later ones. Queen Merneith was possibly the first ever female pharaoh and ruled sometime around 2920 BCE during the First Dynasty. She is believed to have come to power after her husband died, but her son was too young to rule yet. She was buried with 50 servants, an indicator of her power. Another woman little is known about is Queen Nethicret, who likely ruled around 2148-2144 BC, who is mentioned in several historical writings. Queen Sobek Neferu, who married her brother Amenhat IV, took power after he died, ruling from 1806 to 1802 BC. Marrying within the royal family to keep power within the bloodline was a fairly common practice. She was also known as the Crocodile Queen and was named for the god Sobek, the god of crocodiles. She built structures at Heracopolis Magna and continued the funerary complex of Amenhat III. Statues of her that have had their heads removed, had been found in the delta. She was also known to add masculine titles to her feminine ones, something scholars believe she did to assuage any critics who didn't like that she was there as a female ruler. Queen Hatshepsut is one of the more well-known female pharaohs. She came to power with a rather bold declaration to the throne and ended up holding the longest reign of any female pharaoh. During her reign, Egypt had the world's largest army, a long period of peace and ruling families had an extra lavish lifestyle. Hatshepsut was the daughter of King Thutmose I and later was one of his queens. When he died, his son Thutmose II took the throne and he married Hatshepsut, who was his half-sister, keeping with the tradition of marrying the father's oldest daughter. They had a daughter named Nefuerer, When Thutmose II passed away at a relatively young age, his son Thutmose III, born to another lesser wife, became pharaoh, but being too young to rule, Hatshepsut served as his regent, ruling in his name for six years. Then, in 1473 BCE, she declared herself pharaoh instead, and began taking measures to ensure that the people would view her as the legitimate ruler. Pharaohs were considered divine beings, so Hatshepsut claimed her mother was visited by the deity Amun-Ra while she was pregnant with Hatshepsut. She succeeded in currying favor with the priests, an important group she needed to have the support of, and claimed she ruled as co-regent with her father and that he declared her his heir before he died. She also started wearing traditional male pharaoh clothing and even wore a fake beard that was similar to the ones worn by previous rulers and insisted on being addressed as King and His Majesty. When Thutmose III came to the age, she appointed him leader of her armies rather than relinquishing the throne to him. He was an exceptional military leader and has been called the Napoleon of Egypt by Egyptologists studying his battles. Despite pressure from him trying to take back his throne, Hatshepsut ruled for 21 years due to her successes while reigning. Once Thutmose eventually did take over, he began a campaign to erase all images and references to her, although he obviously failed to completely do so since we're talking about her today. Hatshepsut is not only remembered, but is considered one of the most accomplished rulers of Egypt due to her numerous construction projects and the establishment of trade routes. The majority of information we have on her came from hieroglyphics and artwork on the walls at her mortuary temple at Deir el-Bari, a colonnaded structure that predates the Parthenon in Greece. In contrast to the pyramids, her mortuary temple was built in a more secure area meant to deter tomb raiders. Several later pharaohs placed their temples near hers, intending to connect themselves to the grandeur of her buildings. This area became known as the Valley of the Kings. She commissioned several projects in both Upper and Lower Egypt, many of which were thought to be grander and more complex than anything her predecessors have ever done. In Karnak, one of the most significant temples in ancient Egypt, she had two large obelisks constructed, adding to the monuments and statues contributed by many pharaohs over time. Her chapelle rouge, or red chapel, most likely originally stood between these two obelisks and depicted her accomplishments in the events of her reign. It was destroyed during Tutmos's campaign to erase her from history, but it was rediscovered later and reconstructed at Karnak. Hatshepsut is also credited for sending a trading mission and re-establishing commercial trade routes with the land of Punt, which had been disrupted years before. Her delegation brought back many different raw materials from there, And plants, including myrrh trees, thought to be the first trees in history to be successfully transplanted internationally. There is also evidence that she managed to bring back several precious and rare articles that enhanced the wealth of the Egyptian nation. Her mummy was not positively identified until 2007 in the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. Research determined her to be in her 50s when she died and showed that she suffered from diabetes and bone cancer, the latter possibly caused by a lotion that contained highly carcinogenic hydrocarbon benzopyrene found by the researchers at the University of Bonn in Germany. There are many pieces of statuary associated with her, and the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York has a significant amount of space attributed to her. Speaking of statues, one of the most famous has to be the bust of Nefertiti, which is in the Berlin Museum. This painted sandstone bust, which depicts her as a beautiful woman, has made her one of the most recognizable queens of ancient Egypt. Her name literally means the beautiful one has come. She was born sometime around 1370 BCE and was the great wife of Amenhotep IV, who later changed his name to Akhenaten. Her lineage is of somewhat a mystery. We know that she was most likely not a royal princess because the title king's daughter was not ever used to refer to her. There were several theories and one debates whether she was a foreign princess or not, but there's no archaeological evidence to back that claim up. A more popular theory is that she was a member of the Egyptian elite and the daughter of Ai, one of Amenhotep IV's father's advisors, and Ai could possibly have been the brother of Amenhotep's mother, who was also not a royal princess and rather a member of the elite society. It gets rather confusing, but it breaks down to meaning Nefertiti was possibly Amenhotep's cousin. There's no evidence to support this either, though. Nefertiti had six daughters, but never had a son. Her third daughter, Ankhesenpaaten Patan, would later be Tutankhamun's queen. Within a few years of Amenhotep's reign, he caused some major religious upheaval by abandoning their chief god Amun in favor of another god called Aten and began worshiping only him, beginning a time of monotheism, compared to the worship of the many gods the Egyptians were used to. Aten was established as a remote creator and sustainer of the world, and Akhenaten and Nefertiti were semi-divine couple tied to him. Amenhotep moved the capital from Thebes to Armana, changed his name to Akhenaten, and Nefertiti added Nefer-Neferatuun to her name, and her full name now meaning beautiful are the beauties of Aten, a beautiful woman has come. This religious transformation brought along radical artistic changes as well. Early depictions of Nefertiti show her as a stereotypical young woman, but later ones show her as an almost mere image of Akhenaten. Final depictions of her show a regal but realistic figure. Images show them as a couple devoted to each other, and she is depicted alongside her husband on the walls of temples and tombs far more frequently than any other queen before her, and in positions of power that was unusual, such as leading worship, driving a chariot, and smiting down enemies. There are even images showing them in private settings with all of their children, playing with the girls and kissing them. Some imply the relative age of all six girls, in the image. She played an important part in Aten's worship at Armana, and as the images of her leading the worshipping show. This usually was a role reserved for the pharaoh, and blocks discovered from a destroyed temple at Karnak show many images of her conducting rituals, sometimes assisted by her daughters. It may imply that any worship done at this site was only done by women, and this would have given her some autonomous power there. Abolishing the worship of the older gods took away the power of the older priesthoods, and instead people had to turn to Nefertiti and Akhenaten to help communicate with their god. After 12 years of Akhenaten's reign, Nefertiti disappears from the records. Just like her birth, the last part of her life is a mystery too. She could have become co-regent, changing her name to just nefer and then taking the throne when her husband died and adopting more masculine titles, just like Hatshepsut did. There is evidence of a pharaoh by this name being one of the two to rule briefly between Akhenaten and Tutankhamun, and that this was a female pharaoh because of some of the feminine endings on some of her epithets and the feminine spelling of her prenomen. If this indeed was Nefertiti, she could have been the one that began to reverse the religious practices, as nefer had a scribe make divine offerings to a moon, pleading for him to return and dispel the darkness in the kingdom. Where Nefertiti was buried is still unknown, and again, there are many theories. Some believe she may be in the Valley of the Kings, in the city of Luxor, or even may be one of the unidentified mummies sitting in museums. The one certain thing about Nefertiti is that there is plenty of mystery and speculation surrounding her. Cleopatra is arguably the most famous Egyptian queen there is. She was born in 69 BCE to Ptolemy XII, and it's speculated that Cleopatra V Typiana, the king's sister, was her mother. Her full name was Cleopatra VII Philopater, and means glory of the father. Her two older sisters died young, and she was raised to be a ruler as the firstborn child. The Ptolemy family was of Greek lineage. Unlike her family, Cleopatra took great interest in Egyptian history and religion, and she was the only female member to learn how to speak Egyptian. At 18, she became co-regent along with her brother Ptolemy XIII, who was eight years younger than her, and the two were married. They ruled an area that included Egypt, Cyprus, parts of Libya, and various Middle Eastern territories. Records from ancient Egypt show that she was an intelligent and powerful ruler, and that the philosopher Plutarch described her as captivating, persuasive, and a charming leader. She was popular among her people, as shown from a papyrus in 35 BC, which referred to her as Philopatris or she who loves her country. Long before Cleopatra came along, Egypt had allied with Rome, and Rome oversaw the royal family and their empire. When her father died and Cleopatra and her brother took the throne, the Roman leader Pompey was appointed guardian of the two, and his main duty was to ensure tributes to Rome were paid. One year into their reign, Cleopatra began to ignore the co-regency of her brother and had his name removed from all official documents, and new coins were minted with her name and her image. She ruled by herself for three years until court officials plotted to overthrow her in favor of her brother, who they thought would be easier to control. In 48 BCE, her brother and his advisors forced Cleopatra to flee the capital of Alexandria. She obviously wasn't pleased with this and formed an army among the Arabian tribes east of Polysium. While she fought to regain control of Egypt, the guardian Pompey was fighting against the Romans, and when he sought refuge with Ptolemy III, he was murdered as soon as he arrived in Alexandria. Four days later, Julius Caesar arrived with 4,000 soldiers, and riots broke out all across the city, and Ptolemy XIII fled. Caesar took control of the city and restored order, and Ptolemy's advisors brought him back to confer with Caesar. Cleopatra was not about to be left out, and acted to seize control back for herself. She arranged to get herself smuggled past the Roman guards to meet with Caesar, and this is where the famous story of her sneaking her way in rolled inside of her rug comes from. Caesar was amused by her strategy and realized a relationship would benefit them both. When her brother became aware that Cleopatra had formed an alliance with Caesar, he supposedly became irate and screamed through the city's streets as he fled once again. Ptolemy was not ready to give up yet and sent 20,000 soldiers led by Pontinus to surround Alexandria in 47 BCE and during the battle that ensued, Alexandrian Library was burnt down. Caesar's forces maintained the upper hand, and Ptolemy drowned in the Nile while trying to escape, and his military leader, Pontonus, was executed. During the chaos of the battle, their younger sister, Arsinoe declared herself queen of Egypt, she was quickly captured by Caesar's forces also. Cleopatra was then restored to power, this time as a sole ruler. But Egyptian tradition dictated that in order to be fully restored to her throne, she had to marry another younger brother, who was only 11 at the time. He was king in name only, appearing to not be active in ruling in any way. In 47 BCE, Cleopatra gave birth to her first son, Caesarion, also known as Ptolemy Caesar. In 46 BCE, Caesar went back to Rome, and a year later, Cleopatra, her son, her younger brother, joined him there. Cleopatra refashioned herself as the new Isis, an Egyptian goddess, and insisted on having only the finest things, offending the more conservative Romans. Caesar openly claimed their son and declared that he would marry Cleopatra despite laws against foreign marriages and already being married. Caesar became dictator of Rome with Cleopatra at his side until he was assassinated. Cleopatra and her family went back to Egypt a month after this, and her younger brother died of poisoning as soon as they got back, making Cleopatra the sole ruler once again. A few years later, Mark Antony invited her to Tarsus to discuss aid for a campaign of his. She arrived on a ship outfitted with silver oars and purple sails, and she was dressed as Aphrodite, the goddess of love. This was quite a costly entrance, even though Egypt was on the brink of bankruptcy. Mark Antony was so charmed by her that he abandoned his original plans and instead returned with her to Egypt. Within a year, Cleopatra gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl. Antony had gone back to Rome and did not return for four years. When he finally came back... He officially recognized them as his and named them Alexander Helios and Cleopatra Selene. And despite already being married to a Roman woman named Octavia, he married Cleopatra in 37 BCE. Mark Antony gifted Cyprus, Phoenicia, a Sicilian coast, Cole, Syria, Arabia, and Judea to Cleopatra. And this allowed Egypt to build ships with Sicilian lumber and they built a large fleet. Antony began leading military campaigns, and Cleopatra had another son, Ptolemy Philadelphos. After a successful campaign against Armenia, Antony gifted the country to his son Alexander Helios, one of the twins they had together. Cleopatra celebrated by leading a parade through Alexandria with her dressed as the new Isis and presented Antony as Dionysus. A political ceremony then took place to give the family royal titles, and Caesarion was named Ptolemy XV and made co-regent with his mother. The other children all received titles and kingdoms of their own, too. Antony also declared that Caesarion was the true heir of Caesar's and not his adopted heir Octavian, who is currently ruling back in Rome. This infuriated Octavian, and he had the Roman Senate strip Antony's titles and declare war on Cleopatra. He sent their naval forces to attack the Egyptian fleet in 31 BCE, easily defeating them. Cleopatra had the ships she controlled retreat, and Antony soon followed. Octavian attacked Alexandria, and falsely hearing that Cleopatra had died, Antony took his own life. Octavian ordered Cleopatra to appear before him, where she was told that her days as queen were over, and she would be paraded through the city as a captured slave. She shut herself in her rooms after this and, at 39 years old, took her own life rather than be a slave. How she died is uncertain, but there is a famous story that she used a poisonous snake, which was theorized by Plutarch and several other writers. She was buried with Antony, and Rome took control of Egypt. Her oldest son was killed before he could claim the throne, but the rest went to Rome and were raised by Octavia, Mark Antony's ex-wife. These queens all took power for themselves and made their own impacts on history one way or another. It took strength and resolve to do what they did. Good or bad, they have not been forgotten. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story Session. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session, and be sure to click follow for more episodes.